Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. And thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, able-bodied, white dudes. What? No. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman, and I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. It's not her fault. <laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. 602-935-6294. (laughs) so also our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use fruitloopspod for all our social media the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website so check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a fruit loops patron yeah so who are we talking about today beth today we're talking about Yu young chul his family name is Yu, and his first name is young chul he's also known as the raincoat killer this will be part one so please join us next week for part two this subject was suggested to us by our lovely patreon francis and was researched by minnie oh yes minnie and francis <laughs> 
Yeah, thank That's you. That's for you. Thank <laughs> you. Now, before we get into it, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm home from Canada. I had a great time. And, uh, you know, the best of it was uh, seeing my sister, Minnie. So I hadn't seen yeah. her in two years. So it was really yeah. exciting and fun. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, I am so glad you got some R&R away with your sister. Yeah. And also, uh, I, too, enjoyed spending a little time virtually with Minnie as yeah. well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, so uh, last night, <clears throat> I'm doing okay. Uh, I had a, I, what I feel was a pretty traumatic event oh, no. happen to to my son, and it oh, it just keeps Ray playing in my mind. So yeah. last night we went to the Phoenix Christmas Lights Parade, which was awesome because they haven't done it for a couple years. Oh right? wow, yeah, yeah. And the big end finale is Santa coming, so the mm -hmm. kids are running around with their glow sticks, playing tag with other kids in the vicinity, screaming with delight at the floats. People are throwing like candy canes and stuff at, yeah. at the crowd. How fun. Um, and Right. Very fun. Parades are loud, right? Right. Everybody is screaming. Plus the floats are playing loud ass music. Yeah. It's but just a one, loud situation. Exactly. Very loud situation. One white lady, an adult white lady, got in my nine year old son's face. Oh my face. God. My eyes I I was I was like, I couldn't believe what I was what seeing. And I like ran over there. Old Whitey was there too. And um, he like rushed in, moved my son out of the way and got in this woman's face. Now my son yes, is... He should. He, yes, my son's nine. Yeah. But he's very tall and he's black, right? Right. So he looks older than he is. And I don't care who you are. You should never yell at a child this way. She said... Get out of my face. Oh, my Stop God. Stop screaming in my fucking face oh my to my God. son. Oh, my God. What the fuck? And I have no idea why she thought that was okay. I can only imagine it starts with an R and ends with an racism. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm still, like, horrified. Like, it keeps replaying in my mind. And I'm, gr I'm grateful that... Because if I had stepped to this woman, I also would have been concerned about what would happen to me right. if I had approached this white woman in an aggressive manner, even though I would have been within my rights to fucking do so. Yeah. So he he came to defend it. She told, he told this woman to shut the fuck up. How dare you yell at a child? You ought to be ashamed at your, of yourself. Um, and then I, my son was just bewildered and yeah. I could see him physically shrink mm. with fear and with shame. Like he did something wrong. Right. And um, so I've just been like, we've been trying to remind him that he, he did nothing wrong. Yeah. He was in the right to have fun at this parade. Like every, just like all the anybody other else yeah. there. Yes. And to hold his head high and to not carry any shame. The shame is completely the see you next Tuesday woman. Yeah. Um, and it just sucks because that's not the first time that that, hap that happened to him and it's not going to be the last. Yeah, that's My heart stuck. is broken. Oh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, just a reminder to all the allies out there, like if you see something, whether it's a, a, about race or just something something up like happened. this, yeah. If you can step in, you should safely, right? Um, great advice. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah, no problem. So now we're going to get into some listener letters. <laughs> Hello, angels. Hello. Thank you. We need. <laughs> we sure did. I'm so happy to see them, Angels. What do you got in that bag? Well, we got an Instagram message from Nanira27. Okay. 
And they said, I've been straight binging every single episode for the past couple of months, and I finally broke into the 100s. Oh, You yeah. guys are in January 2021, episode 108. All right. One of my favorite things is random shit you guys would say that comes true the following years. <laughs> like so many things. You mentioned a few times how 2020 better be a good year. Well, we all know well. what happened. <laughs> so listening to you guys in the past has made me chuckle because it feels like time I'm traveling and you guys oh, have no idea wow. at that point what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> you even mentioned Alec Baldwin and I listened to that episode within a short time frame of his recent incident. So oh, weird. wow. Yeah, that <laughs> is weird. Wow. <laughs> so weird and so fun. And I'm always looking forward to what you guys are going to say in the future episodes about current events. I know I'm going to miss time traveling with you too, but it's going to be fun experiencing the same things at the same time too. And I can finally join the conversation oh. groups without worrying about spoilers. Yay! <laughs> oh my God! Mm -hmm. Nanira, yeah. hip hop air horns and thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Woo! Coming in hot. That yeah. was for you, Boo. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> oh, that was really, really, really wonderful. Yeah. So we don't have any new patrons or patrons this week, but we will be going to CrimeCon yeah. 2022, everybody. Yep. And we hope to see you there. Yeah. So um, you can go to CrimeCon.com crime crimecon.com to register <laughs> for the event in Vegas 2022. Um, there is a virtual option. Um, and when you check out, uh, be sure to use the code Fruit Loops for 10% off to let them know that we sent you. Yeah. Uh, and we would be so grateful. Yeah. So with all that, we're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows i want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast carol costello presents blind rage in 1984 a woman named phyllis cottle was abducted in broad daylight tortured and left to die in a burning car in akron ohio at the time i was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story since then i've reported every kind of crime imaginable I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time to fess up. <laughs> it's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, we're back. Uh, Beth, remind us, who is our subject today? Today we're talking about Yoo Young Chul, a.k.a. the raincoat killer, South Korea's most notorious serial killer. Mm. And per Francis, our lovely Korean patron who suggested this episode, yes. they said, this case was so well known in Korea when I was a kid, my parents would watch the Korean news and it was everywhere. And Whoa. it actually scared me when we took a family trip to Korea. Yikes. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting to me that I haven't heard of any mainstream true crime podcasts cover him. Well, you are in luck, Francis. Yeah. Also, thank you very much for the suggestion. Yes, thank you. So, I saw Raincoat Killer. I was like, what? How come? What? <laughs> <laughs> Why have we but, never heard of this guy? What? Yeah. Apparently there is a movie, though, called The Chaser that is loosely oh. based off of this huh. individual. Is but it I didn't Korean? It. That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look real it quick. It wasn't the, one of my sources. Yeah, look at it. The Chaser? Come on. IMDb? <laughs> don't fail me now. Yeah, it looks like it is Korean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well, it's stat time, y'all. Here we go. Brrrr. Okay, Yu Yong Chul 
aka the raincoat killer, not to be confused with the rainy Thursday murderer, to which I said, what the fuck? <laughs> so uh, Yoo Yong-chul is a South Korean serial killer, or uh, I heard one source refer to him as a murder addict. I don't know if that's a euphemism for serial well, killer, but I'm just, um, it I'm just throwing, yeah. throwing it out there. He was addicted fits. to murdering. And uh, he was he has 20 known victims, but maybe more. Um, and the victims were, uh, were people in the sex trade, elderly people, and wealthy people. Now, he used a hammer. By the way, y'all, I don't know if we get into the explanation of this hammer, so I'm going to say it now. He found a hammer that looked like Thor's hammer from a construction site and took the handle off and uh, designed his own artisanal murderous oh hammer. Oh, an uh, artisanal to, murder To bludgeon <laughs> the victims to death. Oh, my god! And um, several victims were dismembered, and some say they were... Actually, when I say some say they were cannibalized, only Yu Young Chul says that. Oh, so, okay. Uh, okay. now he wore gloves to also scale buildings. He was very athletic. Uh, and also to get a good grip on the murder weapon. Mm. Uh, the crimes took place from 2003 to 2004. He was apprehended on July 15th, 2004. And he was sentenced to death and is in prison currently. The known victims, apologies in, in advance if I don't nail the pronunciation, but I am trying my best. Rest in power and in love, y'all. Uh, Professor Lee yok 72, and his wife, Yoon Ok, 68. Kang Yoon Sun, 85, and her daughter-in-law, Lee Suk Jin, 60. And she had a neurodivergent son whose name was Go Jin Su, 35. Uh, Mrs. Yu Jun Hee, 60. Kim Jong Seok, age 87. Uh, Ms. Bae Ji Hee, age 53. And that was Kim's housekeeper. Uh, Chun Yoon Dae, 47-year-old street vendor. Kwon Jin Hee, a 23-year-old escort. An Jae Soon. 44, a street vendor, 25-year-old Kim Hee-soon, Shin Min-ah, 33, Han Suk-ja, 35, Zhang Kwang, 26, Kim Ji-ho, 27, Wu Ku-yoon, age 28, Kim Mi-yoon, age 26, Gu Soon-hee, age 24, and Im Mi-yoon, age 27. Um, again, rest in power, y'all. That's a lot. That is a lot of known victims. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Seoul, South Korea, between 2003 and 2004. South Korea occupies the southern portion of the Korean peninsula. The northern half is the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, or North Korea. Dividing the two countries is a demilitarized zone, or DMZ, which is 2.5 miles wide and about 150 miles long. Seoul is the capital of South Korea, or the Republic of Korea, and the name itself has come to mean capital in Korean. It is located on the Han River in the northwestern part of the country, and Seoul is the cultural, economic, and political center of Korea. And I gotta say, I watched the Olympics a few years ago. And it looked pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so Korea has a very long history. We can't get into all of it. Right. But around 668 CE, several competing kingdoms unified into a single dominion on the Korean peninsula. Successive regimes maintained Korean political and cultural independence for more than a thousand years. Wow. The last of these ruling kingdoms would be the Choson dynasty, uh, which was between 1392 and 19. 10. Wow, yeah. I, that is a long 
long Long ass ass time. time. Wow, that's amazing. Now, between 1910 and 1945, after years of war and intimidation, Korea was annexed and occupied by the Empire of Japan. The country would be considered a part of Japan until 1945. In order to establish control, Koreans were deprived of freedom of assembly, association, uh, the press, and speech. The Empire of Japan also waged a war on Korean culture. Mm. So can we, I don't know if we do this often, consider Japan a colonizer? Yeah, Japan was a colonizer in this case. And they did something that a lot of colonizers do. Right. Waging war on the culture of the country that they occupy. Cultural genocide. Yep. Oof. Speaking Korean was forbidden in schools and universities and public places adopted Japanese. It also became a crime to teach history from non-approved texts. What does this sound like? (laughs) CRT! (laughs) And authorities burned over 200,000 Korean historical documents, (gasps) essentially wiping out the historical memory of Korea. Wow. Yeah. Um, I I had no idea. I Uh, didn't either. All of this stuff was new to me when I was researching this case. I didn't know any of this. So, uh, wow. Well, yeah. here we are. Look at us here learning stuff. <laughs> uh, so manual labor and loyalty to the emperor was emphasized. Propaganda that Korea was backwards and primitive compared to Japan made it into textbooks, museums, and Koreans' own perceptions of themselves. Nearly 100,000 Japanese families settled in Korea, and approximately 725,000 Korean workers were made to work in Japan and its other colonies. During the Japanese occupation, millions of trees were chopped down and non-native species were planted, transforming the landscape into something that many Koreans didn't even recognize. Wow, that's next level colonization. (laughs) It really Uh, is. Wow. Yeah. The Royal Palace, Gayongbukgung, which was built in Seoul in 1395, was turned into a tourist attraction for the Japanese. And over Mm. one third of the complex's historic buildings were just torn down. Wow. Yeah. Uh, In 1939, the government made name changing an official policy. Under the law, Korean families were, quote, graciously allowed, unquote, (laughs) to choose Japanese surnames. Thanks, I guess. (laughs) At least 84% of all Koreans took on Japanese surnames. Since people who didn't have Japanese names were not recognized by the colonial bureaucracy and were shut out of everything from mail delivery to ration cards. Wow. Mm. Some Koreans did fight back. Underground groups like the Party of 3000, a group of students that tried to undermine the Japanese military, were formed. Koreans also protested in quiet ways. Some refused to speak Japanese or to change their names. Others came up with names that reflected their family history or that contained subtle resistance to the policy. Mm, I love a good act of resistance. Me too. During World War II, many Korean men were compelled to serve in Japan's army or work in wartime factories, while thousands of Korean women were forced into providing sexual services for Japanese soldiers, becoming known as comfort women. In 1945, at the end of World War II, the United States and the USSR captured the Korean peninsula and ended Japanese rule there. 
Korea was divided into two occupation zones that were intended to be temporary. Now, by August 1948, the Republic of Korea, or South Korea, was established in Seoul, led by anti-communist Sing Man-hui and backed by the U.S. In the north, Kim Il-sung became the first premier of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, or North Korea, backed by the Soviet Union. South Korea's declaration of independence in 1950 led North Korea, backed by China and the Soviet Union, to invade its neighbor in an effort to regain control of the entire peninsula. The United Nations, with the United States as the principal participant, joined the war on the side of the South Koreans. The Korean War lasted from 1950 to 1953. Afterwards, South Korea gradually transformed into a liberal democracy and tried to purge itself of the remnants of Japanese rule. Globalization and rapid political and economic development have had a marked effect on the country's culture. Today, South Korea is one of East Asia's most affluent countries, with an economy ranking just behind Japan and China. The Mm. industrialization and urbanization of South Korea have brought many changes to Koreans' lives. In the past, most people lived in small rural areas where several generations would commonly live under one roof. Changes in lifestyles have led many young people to leave the rural farming areas to find new opportunities in the cities. The majority of South Korea's population is now located around urban centers where South Koreans have moved towards living in nuclear families. Seoul is home to more than 25 million people. In one city? In one city. Wow. And that equates to about 50% of the country's entire population. Wow, that's well, amazing. Nuts, yeah. Yeah. So the Korean wave or Hallyu refers to the global popularity of South Korea's cultural economy, exporting pop culture, entertainment, music, TV dramas and movies. We love to see it. Am I right? Yeah. Squid Games, BTS, <laughs> give me more. Uh, Hallyu has been made one of the country's top priorities by the government, which has a dedicated goal to become the world's leading exporter of popular culture, which is a way for Korea to develop a soft power. Soft power is a term which refers to the intangible power a country wields through its image rather than through a hard force or military power. Hallyu first spread to China and Japan, later to Southeast Asia and then worldwide, where it continues to have a strong impact. I'll say. Uh, Now, however, economic inequality in South Korea is a major issue. Forty percent of the population is poor, while only about one percent are wealthy. Y'all got a one percent, too? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it sounds very familiar. (laughs) It sure does. So part of the problem is a lack of safety nets that South Korea provides for their citizens, including a lack of proper financial support for the retired, poor and unemployed. Many South Koreans criticize the increasingly difficult socioeconomic situation and class stratification in the country. You can see criticism of this social economic situation in South Korean art, such as the TV series Squid Game, Mm -hmm. the movie Parasite, Check. And the music video for Gangnam Style by Psy. <laughs> I, I will have to go back and watch Look that. at it. Yeah. Yeah. You, okay. You probably think of Gangnam Style as just a catchy song with a goofy video. Yeah. But knowing what you know now... Watch it again, and you can see that it's actually satire spoofing the wealthy Gangnam district. Wow. 
Wow. Okay, my mind is blown. So, yeah, kablooey. So the younger generation has become increasingly pessimistic and describes themselves as being part of the sample sade or sample generation, meaning the three giving up generation. The three things that they are giving up due to lack of housing, employment, livable wages, and opportunities are dreams of courtship, marriage, and having children. All right, look at that being better than us. <laughs> Every generation that comes that that I'm like, you guys do it. Do it. Young people who perceive themselves as having even less opportunities may also see themselves as giving up more than just these three things. The opposite or five giving up generation also gives up dreams of good employment and home ownership. The levels go all the way up to 10 where they completely give up on life. That's not wow. so good. I was just, my jaw is on the ground. Um, wow. Okay, so um, just a quick culture corner note. Korean names follow the convention of family name first, then the given name second. As a sign of respect to their culture, um, we've d- uh, decided to keep the name listings using this convention throughout. Yeah. And that is from Minnie, our wonderful researcher and writer. Yes. So now we're going to get into Yu Yung Chul's early life. Hit it, Beth. Yu Yung Chul was born on April 18, 1970, in Gocheng County, a rural area in southeast South Korea. He was a fraternal twin and had other siblings. His father was a Vietnam vet and had outside children with a mistress, and he was also an alcoholic as well as a gambler. Sounds great. Oh, yes. <laughs> and this sounds even better. He'd actually beat the kids with a hammer. Yeah. Uh, and his mom and dad did get divorced. Uh, Yu Young Chul's father kept custody of the kids, which apparently was pretty common in Korea for dads to get custody oh, wow. after a divorce. And they moved to Seoul. He and his siblings lived in poverty with their father and stepmother. And one source said that the stepmother was also abusive. His parents were poor and his father was killed by a drunk driver when Young Chul was only 14 years old. From that time on, he was brought up by his mother alone and they lived in poverty. Young Chul Chul was a talented artist and student athlete. He participated in gymnastics and throwing shot put. Yeah, I also, um, uh, he liked to sing and oh. maybe was in a like a, something like a glee club or started oh. a glee club. I don't know. But he, uh, it, it sounds like but, he had some talent. Yes, but at some point, Yu Yung Chul quit attending school regularly after his father died. And then he tried to get into art school, but he was rejected due to colorblindness. And and uh, he then began to try to make a living any way he could. He was first jailed as a high school student at the age of 18. Since then, he served a combined 11 years in prison on 14 charges of fraud, violence, and other crimes. Among the various crimes that he was charged with were... In August 1988, when he was 18, theft. In 1991, when he was 21, theft. Sentenced to 10 months in prison. Then in 1993, when he was 23, theft. And he was sentenced to 8 months in prison. Then in 1994, 
25, when he was 25. Wow, I like this pattern. He <laughs> uh, so, was selling illegal pornography. I don't huh. like that. Uh, he had to pay a fine of 3 million won. That's equal to about $800. And in 1998, when he was 28, he was uh, convicted of theft, forgery, and identity theft and sentenced to two years in prison. Other significant life events for you were that he was married on June 23rd, 1993, when he was 23, and then his son was born the following year on October 26, 1994. Around the same time, his brother, unfortunately, committed suicide. The number of times that he was caught stealing. Caught stealing. <laughs> he enjoyed stealing. It's just as simple as that. <laughs> Uh, so I think it's safe to assume that he was stealing a lot more than that, but was was not always caught. Uh, and it seemed to be his preferred method of providing for his family. And one way he was able to steal was by pretending to be a police officer and extorting vendors who sold porn. That's kind of smart. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, right. Uh, uh, another criminal is not going to be like police. Help, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> up to this point, you had mainly focused on theft and forgery as his crimes of choice. But in 2000, when he was 30, he was convicted of child sexual abuse for the rape of a 15 year old girl. For this, mm. he was sentenced to three years and six months in prison. It's just wild because at this point, he's still barely 30. Right. Right. And that's the and that is a lot of time to be in and out of, of prison. The joint. For all, yeah. all of these different. I mean, there's a lot of different crimes. That's a lot. He has a very diverse rap sheet. Yes, they do. Shout out to diversity. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you claims that while in custody for this, he read an article about the South Korean serial killer Chung Do Young, who had killed nine wealthy individuals in Busan and the surrounding South Gyeongsang province during 1999 to 2000, and that this was his inspiration to become a serial killer. That's interesting because uh, I, okay, so there is a show on Netflix called The Raincoat Killer, which I watched. Oh. And the police that they interviewed were saying, this this guy, you, was our first serial killer, but it, it, it's not. It nope. wasn't. Yeah. Nope. And I I think one of, one of the sources that I referred to, and it is in the show notes, referred to sort of the police really wanting to the police and the government did not like having a having the image of serial, serial killers killer. in their yeah. population yeah. and the fact that they couldn't catch them right away and would downplay their existence. Yes. I, I think that's where I, I that statement that is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. On October 27th, 2000, while he was in prison, he was divorced by his wife, who was a former masseuse. It seems she'd had enough of his shenanigans and wanted to go her own way. And on September 11th, 2003, Yu was released from prison. It was not long after that that his known murders began. You can go your own way. <laughs> you That's can go did. your own way. <laughs> you can call it murder. Thank you. Yes. You can call it murder. Through terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. 
Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right, it's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So now we're going to get in on into the timeline. So you became obsessed with murder. And before he moved on to the, the real stuff, he began experimenting on dogs. Oh, no. Yeah. He started at first by stabbing them but found it to be too noisy with them squealing around and stuff and too tedious because he had to hold them down, keep them from wiggling around. Too lengthy and too messy, too much blood. Uh, So he started bludgeoning them in the head and then he moved on to people. Yikes. Yeah. 
Yu's first known murders targeted elderly rich people. He usually chose two-story, 3,500-square-foot or larger houses in wealthy neighborhoods that were either set far back from the street or had large gardens so that outsiders could not easily see what was going on inside. This lessened the chance that there would be any witnesses to the murders. He also generally only chose from lunchtime into the afternoon as murder (laughs) o'clock. It's murder o'clock, merch alert. Uh, As as usually, the elderly are left at home on their own during these times, with younger members of the family off to work or otherwise occupied outside of the home. He was clearly planning these acts carefully. Clearly, yeah. Mm-hmm. On September 24th, 2003, in Gangnam-gu, Seoul, Yu entered the two-story home of retired university professors Lee Dok-su, 72, and his wife Yoon Ok, 68. Dok-su was stabbed in the neck with a knife. Yikes. Yeah. He and his wife, Yoon Ok, were then beaten to death with a hammer. Mm. You staged the scene to look like a murder motivated by robbery, but nothing was stolen, so... <laughs> but, by the way, I did see these crime scene photos, and, and it's horrific. pretty bad. Yeah. Horrific. Yeah. The next murder occurred on October 9th, 2003, which is the Korean Alphabet Day, known as Hangul Day, a national Korean commemorative day marking the invention of the proclamation of Hangul, the alphabet of the Korean language. And uh, it's a holiday, but most folks go to work that day. And remember, they were colonized, right? And couldn't even speak their language. So it makes sense to commemorate that day. Yeah. That day in Jangno-gu, Seoul, Yu entered the home of 85-year-old mother Kang Yun-sun, her 60-year-old daughter Lee Suk-jin, and her 35-year-old neurodivergent son Go Jin-su. Yun-sun was bludgeoned to death with a hammer first, then Suk-jin and Jin-su were similarly killed soon afterwards. The third murder was on October 16th, 2003. Whoa, that's not long after. No. Uh, in Gangman-su, Seoul, when he beat Yu Jun-hee to death with a hammer. Jun-hee was 60 years old. Her son found her that afternoon, but she unfortunately died about 30 minutes later. On November 18th, 2003, in Jangno-gu, Seoul, Yu again used the hammer as his weapon of choice. He entered the home of Kim Jong-suk, aged 87, and bludgeoned him then murdered his housekeeper, Bei Ji Hai, aged 53. And again, the, the, it's an art- artisanal hammer yeah. uh, that he customized uh, specifically to commit murders. And it looks like Thor's hammer, but it has like a short, a uh, short like handle, a short handle yeah. that he like he took out the original handle and put in a shorter one so he could get a good grip. Uh, Ji He, who had been holding a one-year-old child that she was taking care of, tried to protect the child when you attacked her. He took the child from her, placed it on the sofa, and covered it with a blanket. He then bludgeoned her to death. He set fire to the house to destroy DNA evidence because he cut himself while he was there and was afraid that the blood left at the scene would enable the police to identify him. Fortunately, the child was rescued, and I believe it was because uh, the child was under a blanket. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Um, at this time period in South Korea, there wasn't much in the way of closed circuit TV available or CCTV. But you happened to choose his fourth murder location on a street that actually had some CCT coverage. 
His image had been captured leaving the scene of the fourth murder while he was wearing a jacket that belonged to one of the victims. And maybe this is why they call him the raincoat killer? Nope, but we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Police debated over whether or not to release the image, but they didn't have much else but a few shoe prints to go on. So they decided to enlist the help of the public. They finally released to the news media that there was a serial killer at large and asked the public for help identifying him based on the CCTV footage and the shoe prints. And this sparked a media frenzy. As you can imagine. Yeah. Now, there was widespread coverage in the news media and you became aware that the police were trying trying to find him. Though the image was fuzzy and only showed him from behind, he was nervous that he could be caught. So he put his need to kill on hold temporarily <laughs> and then switched up his MO. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. He also met a new girlfriend on December 11th, 2003, so that likely distracted him for a bit as well. She was a bodabang, which is a business trip masseuse or sex worker. Sex work in South Korea is illegal, but just like every other place where sex work is illegal, it still exists. Absolutely. The relationship did not last. Eventually, his girlfriend learned of his criminal record and told him not to see her again. One source said that this made him very angry and he bound her and raped her for 36 hours. Yikes. Mm. You told her, quote, it's not a big deal to kill a child like you. Do you think there is no perfect crime? I've done a lot of things that will never be caught, unquote. And some people speculate that this statement is an indication that you was still killing during this gap period. Well, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, the sexual... <laughs> the, the I don't sexual... know why I found that. Well, we don't know. <laughs> we don't, I mean, who, who, who knows? knows? <laughs> but it is an interesting statement. Yes. Uh, so the sexual assault included the use of a sharp object to torture her, uh, to penetrate her with. Oh, jeez. Um, and she oh my had God. to be, yeah, she had to be hospitalized. I bet. And um, you was like trying to hit her up afterwards. Oh my God. Like, hey, want to hang out? Ugh. What's up? Uh, yeah, and yeah, she, sure. No, I oh do not. <laughs> no, I do not. So she ignored him and she changed her address and her phone number. Oh and it was God. after this that he developed an intense anger and hatred towards people in the sex trade and sex workers. And they became his targets not long afterwards. Yeah, everything's everybody else's fault with these guys. I am telling you this. Jesus and Christ. this guy is particularly awful. Yeah. I I just, I, I can't with you. I can't with you. (laughs) His next selected uh, victim was Chung Young Day, a 47-year-old street vendor. And this was on February 9th, 2004 in Namdanggu, Seoul. After killing him, he left Young Day's body in in his van, in Young Day's van, and then burned it to hide the evidence. On March 16th, 2004, in Mapo-gu, Seoul, Yu attacked and strangled Kwon Ji-hee, a 23-year-old sex worker. After she died, he then dismembered her corpse and dumped the pieces on a trail near Songgang University. On April 14th, 2004, in Mapo-gu, Seoul, Yu attacked An Jae-sun, 44, a street vendor who Yu thought had scammed him by selling him fake Viagra. Huh? What? Okay. <laughs> That's not a reason to do to do that. Do any of this. <laughs> no. He wrestled Jason into his own van, handcuffed and murdered him. He then sawed off Jason's hands and oh my God. disposed of them in a plastic bag. He then finished by setting the van on fire. So this guy likes fire too. He does. Yeah. And um 
apparently people with vans. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he adjusted his MO again and at this point and began calling sex workers to come to his home and then murdered them there. This gave him more time to dismember the bodies and allowed him to hide them more effectively. He would cut up the women's bodies, stuff them into plastic bags, and bury them in different locations in the mountains around the city. This was the method he employed with all of the victims from this point on until he was apprehended. It's interesting how he he keeps changing his MO too. Like it, it really does seem like he's addicted to murder. Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really matter to him uh who, who he murders. Or- yeah. Well, I will say though that the murder victims who he brought called over to his apartment using the um like calling the sex workers right. were petite um like women. Like if they were too tall, he he wouldn't he wouldn't do anything. Yeah, but I think it was because uh, petite women were easier to, exactly. to deal with. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't, right, and wasn't so like a a sexual preference. Right. Um. And I I this I for lack of a better way to put it, this was practical. Right. Right. Too big, too tall, too much mass. I can't cut this person up. Yeah. They're gonna need to leave. Yeah. You know. It's, um. Yeah. I can't murder this. I, what I am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I don't know if we've ever covered a serial killer who is this deliberate. Yeah, I, I, I don't know either. Yeah. I he, this this feels like a one of a kind to yeah, me. Yeah, it this really stage. does. Yeah. yeah. So on May 2004 in Mapogu, Seoul, Yu lured 25-year-old Kim Hee-sun to his one-room apartment and then bludgeoned her with his hammer. He then decapitated her in his bathroom, smashed her head dismembered her body and buried her remains near Bangwan Temple in Sio de Mangu. Mm, that's that's a lot. Yeah. That's that's a lot for one day. I yeah. wonder if I wonder how long it took him to. Um, yeah. Only because I'm a sick fuck and God's not <laughs> and with me know. yet. Yeah. So on May 7th, 2004, also in Mapogu, Seoul, you used the same method to murder and dip- dispose of Shin Min Ah, age 33. He seemed to either become more efficient with his new method or something happened in his life to increase his need to kill because the frequency of the murders increased. Before this, it was like, I don't know. Yeah. He'd been month killing a month? once a month, but now it increased to about one a week one God a week damn yeah and Oof. i i wonder if it was because um he's like oh i can kill these people in my own house and it's easy and yeah i'm <laughs> sorry i can do it from the comfort of my own, my home. own home i can just <laughs> oh call my God. call a victim to come to my house kill them and dispose of them all you know <laughs> what? I, don't, I don't know <laughs> that, you you're probably right but that's wild that's, that is wild and pretty <laughs> fucked up yes oh my goodness gracious <laughs> so all of these victims were murdered in Mepogu, Seoul, using the same method that he had used on Hisun. He then fell into a pattern slash ritual in which he would call a brothel uh, to have a sex worker sent over to his place. They would have sex. He'd make noodles for them to share. And then she went to use the bathroom. He would grab a hammer that he had made specifically for this purpose off of the shelf in the bathroom and then bludgeon her with it. On June 1st, 2004, he killed and dismembered Han Suk Ja, age 35. On June 9th, 2004, he killed and dismembered Jang Kwan, age 26. 
On June 18th, 2004, he killed and dismembered Kim Ji-ho, age 27. On June 25th, 2004, he killed and dismembered Wu Ku-yeon, age 28. On July 2nd, 2004, he killed and dismembered Kim Mi-young, age 26. On July 9th, 2004, he killed and dismembered Go Sun-hee, age 24. And on July 13th, 2004, he killed and dismembered M. Mi Yeon, age 27. Um, I was going to say, this is a lot of people in a short period called, of time, in a short period of time, called to his house from a brothel. Yeah. And the brothel, it makes me wonder, like, how involved or not, not or not, not are the brothels? Yeah. yeah. Well, but no, like these they people weren't... left, they went to the same house and then they disappeared they and, and they don't come do back. anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is um, weird. Weird. So that's it for today, y'all. Um, please join us next week for the rest of this crazy ass story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So I saw this on social media. Stop putting identifying bumper stickers on your cars, folks. (laughs) Now, they just reveal too much about who you are, what you do, what you have and own, and you and your family's habits. Stickers of your kids and their activities? Here, here, kidnapper. My kids play sports, and we will be gone most evenings and weekends for practices (laughs) and games. Yes, follow me home or come back later. It's fine. Uh, Dog stickers? Hey, look, we have a small breed dog, and his name is Max, and Max will let you in. Help yourself to whatever you want. Personalized license plates? Make it easier for people to find you and, you know, let's say you unintentionally offend somebody who's dangerous yeah or someone who wants to keep track track of your vehicle let's honor roll stickers be proud on the inside because these stickers tell people where your kids go to school you know get rid of those baby on board stickers because they tell people that you have your hands full and that wherever you go you're going to be distracted and an easy target Outdoor sporting stickers show that you have expensive equipment either in your car or in your home. And you you get a lot. You get it, right? You, yeah. You're not going to be home a lot. So be incognito in the Internet 
and in real life. Get rid of them stickers. <laughs> Good one. Thanks. So now we're going to move into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by or about any marginalized or othered groups of folks or any true crime goodies. Uh, I got a true crime goodie called the Dark Side of Soul podcast about Korean true crime, Ooh. dark history, ghost tales, nice. folklore, serial killers and more. By the way, they did a four part series on this particular case. Wow. Which is fantastic. Um, so get that wherever you get your podcast. And also Homicide for the Holidays is airing on Oxygen, y'all. Week, uh, yeah. Enjoy all of it about the shocking true crime stories of holidays turned murderous. Uh, and it airs on Monday, December 6th to December 9th at 8, 7 central on Oxygen. And by the way, episode two this season is called Downtown Posse, Six Slays of Christmas. <laughs> and keep an eye out for contributions from us at Fruit Loops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wink, Check it wink. out. Check it out. Yep. What do you got, Beth? <laughs> so I wanted to shout out uh, the movie on Netflix called Love Hard. Uh-huh. It's a Christmas movie. And Is it? Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. So when I was visiting Minnie and her husband, uh, we watched a few Christmas movies to get into the spirit, you know. Of course. So we watched this one, and I assumed it was going to be your usual lifetime-type fare. Yeah. Uh, but it was actually really good. It was cute. Um, I mean, it was it was, of course, formulaic and cheesy in parts. Yeah, but it was funny, too. The script was good and um, it was touching. And many of the main characters are Asian. So, ah, uh, yes. Look at this. Yeah. Love hard. Can't, it's new. Yes, it's new. Came on 2021. Yeah. So if you want to get into the Christmas spirit, watch Love Hard on Netflix. Hell yes. So uh, that is the Dark Side of Soul podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Homicide for the Holidays on Oxygen and Love Hard on Netflix. Oh, man. That's it for today. I'm sad. But looking forward to next week. In the meantime, Beth, where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help and as always we have merch for sale on our website yes also don't forget our phone number 602-935-6294 and and go to crime con yeah get your tickets register for the event vegas 2022 virtual or in person and when you check out use the code fruit loops for 10 percent off and let them know that we sent you and uh this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.
24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com <laughs>